0: Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Truly I tell you if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Bow with me, would you, family?
1: Lord Jesus, the power of your word is just amazing. I mean, by it, you created everything. The power of your written word is amazing, too. We thank you that you have recorded it, that you've saved it, guarded it, all these years. What a miraculous piece of heaven that we have in our hands that we can look at at any time. Forgive us when we take that for granted. Forgive us when we don't use it. Forgive us when we don't learn from it. This morning we ask, beginning with the one that speaks, that that happens. We're transformed by the written word as we read it together as a family to grow up in you, Jesus. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Hey, I forgot to mention during announcements. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Betty Sisko's in the building. She's sitting right back over there. Yeah, we're glad to have her back. We miss that. That's good stuff. Okay, so that's a powerful scripture, and, and it's a very interesting scripture, and I appreciate you reading it for us. And somebody was asking me about this a couple weeks ago, and I, we probably dealt with this before because it's one of my favorite passages of scripture, but I wanted to talk to you about it a little bit this morning. Ed Ruffing reported this story from Utica, New York several years ago. Evidently, uh, a bunch of burglars had broken into a house in the Marcy suburbs, and in fact, they were systematically uh, cleaning these people out. They'd been going out for about two and a half hours, and it was starting to get daylight, so they knew they had to quit. But he says, in an act of unbelievable greed, they decided to take one more big-ticket item out of the house. They got down in the basement and took the 65-inch television off the, off the wall and carried it up through the basement, out the front door, and they're walking right down the middle of the driveway in broad daylight with this TV when the nosy uh, Mrs. Ramsey, the neighbor, uh, no, uh, no relation at all, she notices what's going on and she opens her window and yells at them, Hey, where are you guys going with that TV? They stopped, but nobody said a word. Are you planning on fixing that here, or are you taking it down to the shop? Now they're grinning, but they still didn't answer. The reason I'm asking, fellas, I can tell you're busy, but my 65-inch TV is acting up too. Would you mind to take it also? And they did. (laughs) Now, I've always loved that story, and the reason I tell it is I'm out of jokes. Now, you know know better than that. Now, I tell that story because it speaks exactly to, who clapped over there? It speaks exactly to what I want to talk about this text this morning. It's very critical for us when we're studying a passage of Scripture or a situation or event, that that we do several things. First of all, you got to look at all the facts. Second of all, you got to check out all the surrounding circumstances and stories surrounding it. And when you're done looking at the facts and the circumstances, then you put all that together, use a little wisdom, prayerful wisdom, and, and glean some kind of lesson out of it. And I'm telling you, it's never more critical than when you and I are studying the Word of God. I cannot tell you how many times over the life of my ministry where I was absolutely, positively sure that the Bible was saying one thing, and then after I studied it, I found out it was saying something completely opposite, sometimes after I preached it. Now, that's spooky, not only because that proved that I wasn't uh, studying to show myself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, but it's also spooky because sometimes when you miss a little, you miss a lot. If we're not careful, when we study the Bible, if we don't study the Bible, we can miss out on huge blessings, great promises, and, and dire warnings. So, uh, again, thanks uh, Reed, for reading this passage of Scripture towards us this morning. I want to talk about it in terms of what we can learn from it if we studied it a little bit. I want to talk about the tree, tree? The, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the temple, and the mountain. And we're going to start with the tree. The lesson of the tree, and I'm. I'm going to be honest, is anybody else feeling sorry for that fig tree? I mean, does it seem like Jesus maybe got up on the wrong side of the bed or something? I mean, it's hard, to hard for me to, to that believe that Jesus, Jesus. Would, would act this way. It's just hard to believe. Now, it's not hard to believe that he can wither a fig tree with the Word. I mean, he can calm a storm with the Word, and he can heal the dead with the Word. I mean, I, I don't have any trouble believing Jesus could do it. My problem was wondering why he did it. And, and while we're at it, does it seem a little bit over the top? to throw money tables around and and whip people and animals out the... Does that seem a little... What's going on here? This is a good illustration of what I'm talking about. Instead of just scratching my head and moving on, we need to study sometimes. Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm thinking we're in a day and age right now where if we're not careful, and that's why this class is is so good, uh, Corey, we're in a time right now where we're just a bit lazy in the study department. Am I right? Am I just talking for me, but sometimes, you know, we have trouble finding time to read the Bible, wah, wah, because we're so busy. The Word of God, we don't have time to read it. And then when we do get time to read it, we come to a passage of Scripture that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, and instead of putting a Bible down and getting out a commentary or a study Bible or something and figuring this thing out, praying over it, we just observe the Passover. We just pass over it and move on. Doesn't, don't you do that? Just read right on? See, my point is, if you do that, you can miss a lot. For example, if we don't look into this a little bit, it appears up front that Jesus just got mad at and lost his cool at a tree. That's out of character for him. Now, I know the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that there comes a time where a Christian should be righteously angry. I know that. But Paul did not mean by that that you can go home today and burn your apple tree down because you felt like a golden, delicious apple, and when you got home, there wasn't any on it. That's not what he's talking about. And another thing that's out of place in this story, it's this whole business of Jesus using his miraculous powers. Remember uh, in Luke chapter 4, the first temptation from the enemy to Jesus was to turn the stone to bread. In other words, use your supernatural powers for your own purposes. And Jesus said, there's no way I'd do that. And yet it appears like that's exactly what's going on here but it gets worse. I did a little study on the fig tree and here's what I found. Things have not changed much in 2,000 years and that is this. The, the pomegranate and the fig were the main staple of Israel, kind of like a potato and a tomato are to us. And, and also, I, I just want you to know that they weren't out of line taking a fig off that tree. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 23:24. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but don't put it in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to a standing grain. In other words, they weren't out of line at all to help themselves to a fig. That was part of the law. You just couldn't fill up your pantry with it. I wanted you to know that. You're probably thinking, Cain, you're making a big deal out of this. No, it is a big deal. There's a lot of problems with this story. So I did some study on the fig tree, you got to be bored to study on the life and characteristics of a fig tree, right? No, 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 we got to figure out what's going on. Something's up. And here's what I found out. A fig tree is unique because it leaves and blooms and produces fruit all at the same time. And it does it twice a year. In June and September. Oops. June and September. This story took place in April. There is no way this fig tree or any other fig tree in that area could have had fruit on it. In fact, Mark said as much in that passage you read in verse 13 when he said, When they reached the tree, it had nothing but leaves because it was not seasoned for figs. Houston, we got a problem here. We got Jesus Jesus berating this this fig tree and punishing this fig tree for not doing something it can't do anyway. What's up with that? Andrea was about three years old, and she was acting up. Now that's kind of out of character. Normally, uh, Ashley was our problem child. Although we did, we did find out later that she was instigated a lot by the quiet girl. You know what I mean? But Andrea was really having a day, and I was going to spank her. I was going to take her to the room, and I said, "That's it. You're going to get a spanking." And very quietly, she never did this in front of the kids. I always appreciate that. She said, "Can I talk to you a minute?" When we went in there. She said, "Honey, back off a little bit." And I said, "She's acting like a baby." And she said, "She is a baby." Oops, I forgot. See, that's kind of what's going on here. And it's like, Jesus is saying Jesus to this fig, fig to this tree, tree, Hey, you're acting like a fig tree out of season. We kind of want to say, <laughs> that is a fig tree out of season. You see the problem? If anybody else had got angry at this fig tree for not having fruit on it in April, we would have just said, well, they're a hothead. wanting their own way. But this is Jesus, so there's got to be something else going on. And there is... If you study, you'll find out that Jesus is using a very common teaching technique known as symbolic action. The prophets used that a lot. Anytime a prophet wanted to say something and he was pretty sure that his words wouldn't be enough to get the message across, they would use some kind of dramatic thing to get the message across. You you know that. You've seen that a lot in the Old Testament. God had Hosea marry a prostitute so that he could teach Israel Uh, that they were unfaithful to him. And he had Hosea take the prostitute back every time she cheated on him. So Israel would know how many times he'd taken them back. And don't you know that lesson got in here? Every time they saw that prophet walking around with a prostitute, they remembered the lesson. At Cincinnati Bible College, we called Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, the abominable showman, because he taught almost exclusively with this symbolic action deal. One time, God had him go outside and lay on his side to show how Israel was rebelling against him for 390 days. You think your job's boring? 390 days every day he went outside and laid on his side. He had Isaiah one time take off all his clothes and just put on sackcloth and walk around his sandals for three years. He got a prophet walking around humiliated in his underwear for three years, and God was showing Israel that he was about to humiliate the entire nation through the country of Egypt. So you get the point. A prophet, among other things, was kind of a divine performance artist, and they did some pretty dramatic things to sear into the minds of people the teaching they were trying to get across. And that's exactly the teaching technique that Jesus is using here with um, this this symbolic action of a a fruitless fig tree. Dr. Martin McIntyre is a dentist in Florida, and his six-year-old daughter got pretty upset with him because he wouldn't allow her to swim for the third time in one day in the family pool. So she wrote him a nasty letter and put it on his nightstand at the table. Six years old now. She wrote, Dear Daddy, I hate you. Love, Sarah. (laughs) Kind of a double message, there. you know what I mean? Here's what I want to talk to you about. If you do some study, you find out immediately there is no double message in this passage. Just one very clear teaching to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. Today that would mean a Christian. That was given very loudly through this dramatic uh, teaching uh, of the withering fig fig tree. And and the, the message is this. Uselessness invites disaster. Anything that is useless is well on its road to being completely eliminated. Now, you can read that in John 15 with the vine and the branches. You can read that in the parable of the talents. You can read that several places. You're to find the purpose that God created for you, for the kingdom, and put it to use. Psalm 16, 12, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? The answer is spoken many times in the New Testament. You find the gift that God has given you, and you use it for the kingdom. Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, about the spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. To Timothy, he said, don't neglect your gift. You be diligent in these matters. Give yourself fully to them, 1 Timothy four twelve. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, each person should use whatever gift they've been given to serve others faithfully, administrating the grace of God in various forms. That's what Jesus is driving home. He's saying, look, a fig tree is very, very important to this community. Therefore, if you've got a fig tree out there and it's not bearing figs, it's doomed. Now, what's that message for us? Well, we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. How many times have you heard this fuzzy-faced preacher say over and over again from up here, the community is counting on us at work and at school and Walmart and Kroger. We are the vessels that God is using to take his message out to a dying community. And so our message is this this morning. If you are a Christian and you call yourself a Christian and you're not living like a Christian and you're not bearing fruit like a Christian, look out. Look out. If we left here Easter Sunday morning and we walked out there claiming to be Easter people and we don't live a life like Easter people, look out. That's the lesson of the fig tree that we would have missed had we not studied a little. Let's move on. Let's look at the temple. Now, now I'll set this up. Every major city in Jesus' day was a major city either because it was built around a major waterway or because there was a major road running through it, a trade route. Jerusalem had neither one of those things. It wasn't built near a body of water, and there were only two main roads at the time, and neither one of them went through Jerusalem. So, why is Jerusalem great? Everybody knows that. Jerusalem great reason, for one, and reason, reason only, and one reason only. Because of the temple, that's why Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem as often as they could. There were all kinds of celebrations and festivals, and here's the deal: When you showed up in Jerusalem, you had to go to the temple, and when you went to the temple, you had to pay the temple tax. And you had to pay the tax for yourself, for the family you brought with you and get this. You had to pay tax for the family that couldn't come with you. There's a huge money generating uh, avenue here in the temple. Also, uh, the chambers in the temple where where the money was kept was considered by most to be the safest place to put your money. So it actually became First Bank of Israel, too. Uh, In fact, Herod, this is kind of like having a Super Bowl in your city every weekend. Just all kinds of money being brought in. And and Herod figured that out. And so before Jesus came on the scene, Herod rebuilt the temple. Remember that? Took 82 years, 18,000 people a day for 82 years. And I read last week that there was at least that many priests involved in this thing. I I just want you to understand, we're talking about a money-making machine here. So Jerusalem's dominated Israel, not just religiously or politically or culturally, but also economically. The temple was the, was the reason. The temple's the White House, the Wall Street, it's the cathedral, it's the first Bank of America, all wrapped into one. If it wasn't for the temple, Jerusalem would be just like any other hick town, like, I don't know, Morrisville or West Lafayette or something, you know what I mean? Uh, it, Now, I don't want to bore you with all these facts, but we need to understand this if we're going to get the lesson that Jesus is about to give in another prophetic teaching way. Jesus goes off on the temple. He's running these people out. Now, here's what I was taught when I was a kid. I loved my church in Plainfield, but this is what they taught us. The reason Jesus ran these people out is because you should never buy or sell in the church. And so at Plainfield Christian Church, we never sold or bought anything, not even in the vestibule. You know, you couldn't buy... Well, I sold some cinnamon toothpicks in Sunday school once in a while. Thought I was going to hell for that, you know what I mean? But, but we didn't do that. Now, obviously, I don't believe that teaching now, because I've spent hundreds of dollars in this church over the years, and Girl Scout cookies, and Boy Scout popcorn, and flowers, and I just bought something a couple weeks ago. I don't know what I bought. At, but, and I'm okay with that, because my kids did the same thing. It's just my turn, you know what I mean? I always taught, and this is what I'm getting at. I taught this from this pulpit that the reason Jesus drove all these people out of the temple is because they were cheating, the money changers. See, here's the deal. When you came to the temple, a lot of people came so far, they didn't want to carry their lambs with them or their doves with them. And so you'd buy that when you got there. Well, you you had to use temple money. And when you paid the temple tax, you had to use temple money. So whatever money you brought in, you had to stop at the money changers and get your money turned into temple money. And the exchange rate was criminal. And I taught for years that Jesus was driving these people out because they were ripping people off. That's not it either. It's worse than that. The hint we get is in verse 17, when Jesus quotes Isaiah 56-7. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer to all nations. I mean, prayer is important, but did you catch the all nations deal? Everybody. Jew, Gentile. Male, female, rich, poor, red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. And Jesus' point was, God is creating a community where everybody, the redeemed, are all welcome. And it was supposed to be the temple. And when Jesus showed up, it was anything but that. The temple was all divisions and barriers. First of all, you had the court of the Gentiles, and they were allowed in, but they couldn't go any farther in here. There was a barrier up a wall. And then you had a court of women, and you could only go so far in there, and then you'd run into another wall. And then you had a court of men, same thing, going so far. And then you had the court of the priest, and if you're an average Joe, you couldn't go in there. And all the way up to Holy of Holies, where that two-inch thick curtain hung, where nobody was allowed in there. It was all about barriers and divisions when Jesus showed up. In fact, we have an inscription Two copies of it that we found on the wall, and I'm sure that Jesus read this too. It reads, no foreigner is to enter within the enclosure around the temple area. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will surely follow. That's not very seeker friendly. This is the house of God. If you come in here you're gonna die. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, you've got all these people showing up, spending all this kind of money, hoping somehow they spend enough money, sacrifice enough animals, that somehow they can get to God. And you've got all these people exploiting them for that, and they still don't get to God. And Jesus is furious with that. He is furious. This is not the way God intended it. And so when Jesus does what he does, he's not doing this to keep a few isolated people from making a few bucks. What he's... What he's doing is he's declaring in a way that only a prophet would declare. This whole temple system you see here, I'm bringing it down. It's coming down, boys. This is crazy stuff. I know in your Bible it probably says Jesus cleanses the temple. Understand, this is not a story about Jesus cleansing the temple. This is a story about Jesus destroying the temple. And everybody knew that's exactly what he's talking about when he said it. And he wanted everybody to know it. That's how come we ask read to start with verse 11 instead of verse 12, which is the natural breakdown in your Bible. I wanted you to understand that the Bible says Jesus showed up the night before, but most of the people had gone home, so he went home and came back the next day. Why? Because he wanted everybody to hear what he had to say. That's the bold Savior that you and I are following. This is amazing stuff. Can you see the drama in the story? As a matter of public record in front of everybody, Jesus is single-handedly now. No clubs... No swords, no soldier. By himself, he's taken on the greatest power of the day. He's looking to people that are making all their money in the temple system, and he's saying, "Boys, I'm about to bring this system down. The day is coming real soon when you can shut up the whole uh, idea of selling doves and animals, because we're not going to sacrifice anim- animals anymore. I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. Real soon, Jesus says, the day is coming when all these barriers and all these walls are coming down. In fact, i got a surprise for you. That two-inch curtain you got covering the Holy of Holies, I'm going to split that in half. I'm taking this down. Real soon, Jesus says, the day is coming. There's going to be no need for the temple. No pilgrimages, no temple tax, no relics, no all of this stuff. The day is coming real soon where God's going to be available to anybody at any time anywhere because of what I'm about to do. And what I'm going to start with my church, this is amazing. No wonder they began to plot to kill him at this point. They knew what he was saying. No wonder the people says no one taught like him. I mean, their jaws are hitting the floor. You got Jesus who knew what he knew what he knew, saying that God's about to do something completely impossible, and that's take down the temple, which he did in 72 A.D. Now, how about us, family? Do we believe this? Because this is where lesson two with the tree, uh, with the temple and lesson one takes us, takes us to lesson three, which is the biggest lesson of all for us right now, and that's the lesson of the mountain. Boy, the days, Boy, we're, the li- days we're living in, some of the things you, po- you people are living with right now, this is a lesson we've got to get. The next morning, they walked outside, and they saw that withered fig tree, and Peter said, Oh my goodness, look,
0: at that, look at that
1: tree. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, your God's powerful. He's not just powerful enough to wither a fig tree. Your God's powerful enough to move any mountain in your life. He can move it. Boy, did he? Yeah, just a few days later, Jesus is killed. He's thrown in the tomb, and we know what happened. We just celebrated that last week. And the message is very clear. If you're a child of God... There is no mountain that can stand in your way. Isn't that what he said? That's exactly what he said. Not a mountain of fear, not a mountain of pain, not a mountain of opposition, not a, a mountain of health, not a mountain of, of challenge. If you're a mountain-believing Christian, God can move it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing teaching. Now, what that means is as we come to the altar this morning, we got three big lessons that we would have missed have we not studied this passage? Have we just do what we do sometimes? Well, we've got some time we're going to read the Bible real quick. What's he mean by that? Well, I don't know. I've got to move on. Here's the lesson number one. If you're a fig tree and you don't produce figs, you're in trouble. If we're Christians here today and we call ourselves Christians and we're not living like Christians, look out. We have been warned And I don't know if you're like me or not, but I'm in and out of that. There are times in my life where I'm not living what I say I believe. If that's you today, it's time to do something about it. Come up here and celebrate the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that made this lesson possible and say, you know what? I'm not where I need to be. I'm gonna get there through your help. I repent. I wanna live. I want I wanna produce fruit, fruit that will last. That's what you created me for. Lesson number two that we need to get out of this this morning that was done in a, in a daring act of, of courage that has seldom seen ever in the history of mankind is that now, through Jesus Christ, God is available 24-7. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, you can talk to the God of the universe. And I wonder how often you forgot that. Know me. Maybe this is the time where you need to come up and get on your knees and say, Lord, I I don't want to do anything without you. I'd be silly. I want to walk through every day with you. I want to talk to you every every decision I make. I want to run it by you first. He'll help you if you ask him to do that. Come up this morning and do that. And lesson number three is the big one. If you're here today and you've got a mountain in front of you, And in a crowd this big, I'm sure there is, because mountains come and go. Then you are in the presence of a God that can move it. And I'd bring it up here this morning and lay it at his feet and say, you know what, I believe that. I believe it. Take this mountain away. That's our lessons today. We come to the table to remember them and to pray over them. I'll be sitting right here if you need to talk.